0: live welcome to rise to liberty my guest tonight justin o'donnell how you doing justin
1: i'm doing great thanks for having me back man
0: anytime anytime <laughs> i i had to get you on because of this whole uh lnc twitter hack apparently which how how long has this been going on like i just oh, opened up twitter hours. today it, yeah yeah I, it
1: just it was at some point earlier today that the lnc twitter page turned into a uh nft shit posting page <laughs> but hey i thought it was hilarious personally like, yeah. And to be frank, I, I thought it was hilarious and not the end of the world, like, not a big deal at all. Like, Twitter pages get hacked all the time. Like, a uh, human error when it comes to cybersecurity and password management is just like it's human error. Um, like, I, I'm not even like a cybersecurity professional or an IT guy. And I know like one of the most common acronyms in IT support is PEPCAC, problem exists between keyboard and chair. That's where 90% yeah. <laughs> of your failure in encryption like ends up. And like the weakest link in any encryption system When you even when you're doing end-to-end encrypted messaging is the person sending yeah. or receiving the messages. So like passwords get lost to social engineering all the time. People click phishing links. People use unsecured Wi-Fi in hotels or restaurants or whatever. Like yeah. it's not uncommon for those small little mistakes to happen especially when you're using like an unsecured phone, not have 2FA turned on, don't have a VPN running. Like There's a lot of steps you have to take to protect yeah. yourself on line nowadays and i'm not even a tech person i can't even tell you all of them or go into them in detail like a tech person could like naomi brockwell does a fantastic job her whole channel is dedicated to it uh she does great stuff like that but i tried to make a joke like saying how can we trust dave smith with the (laughs) nuclear codes if he runs for president if we can't trust him with the twitter keys and holy shit did that melt people's brains
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i saw that and man, I I opened up Twitter and it was just nothing but drama.
1: Yeah, it's like even I didn't mean for it to be drama. Like I meant for that to be a joke. And yes, it's a serious concern. It's a serious issue to talk about cybersecurity, but like me not thinking it's that big of a deal like you can recover a stolen twitter account you can use your recovery emails the setup process change the password back and get it back that's not the end of the world but it's a great opportunity to talk about best practices in it and cybersecurity because we basically live online nowadays yeah and so i thought a joke was the best way to start that conversation um and have, have both the seri- address a serious concern with the lnc's best practices in cybersecurity as somebody who did donate money and they have my personal information in their records um by making a light of an issue and it did not go the way i expected it so <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know twitter man it's it's a whole monster it's it's interesting um i i don't understand how some people are just like so high strung about they need to touch
1: grass like I, I hate the term touch grass get out and touch grass like you're not yeah. operating in reality but like it, it's real like some people forget that like twitter isn't real life it's, it's not a substitute for in-person uh conversation it's not a substitute yeah. for having a social life and it sure shit doesn't count as activism like i yeah. and i tweet a lot i shit post a lot like i'm very active on oh yeah twitter, me too but i don't consider it remotely like a substitute for things i have to do off of twitter to live a healthy life and to be happy with my activism and the progress I'm making in fighting for Liberty. Like Twitter's just like, at best, it's a place to vent. That's a place to blow off steam.
0: I mean, one of my favorite things, honestly, is the fact that you can tweet at like state officials, you know, the, until the they block that, you. <laughs> yeah. Until they block you. But yeah. nonetheless, like, you know, there there's politicians from all over the world. And that's one of my favorite parts is that you can just talk shit to the FBI and call them
1: gay. You know, <laughs> yeah. I I actually I have a running I have a folder saved of screenshots of you have been blocked by so and so. Of I call them <laughs> a trophy case. Like nice. if I've gotten them to block me, it's a trophy case. I've I, I've angered them enough that they've taken the extra step to go and block me. And like eighty percent of them are Chinese state media officials.
0: That's that's hilarious.
1: Because yeah, every time I come across a chinese state media official on twitter because twitter will brand them affiliated with chinese state media i'll just start hammering them with winnie the pooh memes uh, like completely yeah. out of context no relation to what they're saying just start hammering with winnie the pooh memes until they go out of their way to block me
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the best use of twitter
1: i, yeah. I don't care what anyone says or tell it and tell megan mccain that she's a horrible human being and she needs to suffer the consequences for her using her social credit to promote her father's legacy of war mongering
0: yeah exactly (laughs) which was by far going to be the most base meme of the year so
1: people haven't noticed because we've only had like two minor holidays instead happy holidays tweet um on my personal account Though I have a scheduled tweet um I went in and scheduled the tweet for every holiday for the next two years um (laughs) just tweet out that picture tagging megan mccain saying happy holidays Uh, she won't (laughs) see it because she's had me blocked for like six months already Uh, yeah she blocked me the first time we tried this like that's the other thing everyone got upset about the happy holidays tweet like this was the second year in a row we did it nobody noticed the first time
0: yeah exactly it just (laughs) struck a chord this time
1: yeah but like last time, Megan McCain blocked me last time when she asked. She commented, "You think like, what the hell is your problem?" Like my problem is that there are people around the world suffering. Will you get to cry in the luxury and privilege of knowing that your father did that to them?
0: Yeah, and dude, I I hate block. that that picture even exists in the first place. Like
1: it was like, propaganda. She signed off yeah. on releasing it to use it as propaganda for her father's legacy.
0: Exactly. Like if if any if it was any sane human they would have been like, no, this is a private family moment. Please let us grieve in private. You the know? fact that John like McCain anyone else a does. state
1: funeral, the, the fact that John McCain had a state funeral is an insult to like everything the American Republic is supposed to stand for. It's a nation yeah. peace harmony. Like he was a fucking warmonger. And like beyond that, I consider John McCain especially egregious when it comes to warmongers because of like the, the, the Dick Cheney's, the George Bush's, the, um, Like the Halliburton, like all of the most evil people that have led the United States in the last fifty years, and like been responsible for some of the worst human uh, rights violations and global atrocities imaginable at the hands of the U.S. military and U.S. foreign policy, John McCain is among the worst of them to me. Because, and and there's two points here: when John McCain first ran for U.S. Senate, he ran as a non-interventionist anti-war candidate. Like, he opposed the invasion of Iraq in 91. Like, that's how, like, anti-war... Like, a war that had near universal global support. uh, yeah. And, like, had zero clawback. Like, zero people pushed back against it because the results were uh, so, like, decisive. Then he opposed. And, like, that's an incredibly respectable position to take. It, it was such... A, like, when... I forget what her name was but the congresswoman who voted against invading Afghanistan after 9/11 even Ron Paul voted to invade Afghanistan after yeah. 9/11 that seemed justified at the time but not sh- like immediately after his whole tune changed and he, he advocated for boots on the ground and a total occupation in uh Serbia in um the U- former Yugoslav republics and like intervening in the Balkans war like militarily as NATO and like since then he has been, he had had been one of the biggest Hawks and pushed the hawkish foreign policy of invade, occupy, rebuild and create puppet States. And knowing full well, the consequences, because he himself was a veteran of combat, not only a veteran of combat, a veteran of one of the most horrific wars ever fought a guerrilla war in a jungle where he was a prisoner of war and tortured for years. Like he, he had the personal knowledge of the horrors of war in a ways few other people ever will. And he chose to inflict that on other people. And so that makes John McCain one of the worst, in my opinion. And it makes his legacy one of the most dangerous to allow to be promoted unopposed.
0: Well, and I I think the fact that Meghan McCain was able to sit on the view and promote this to just
1: wine moms yeah. Like, Megan McKean's entire career has been built off the coattails of her father's political legacy. Like, she would not have been, ever made it to the view if her father was a sen- wasn't a senator. She would She would be a nobody. She'd be not famous at all. She'd have no reputation and no social credit whatsoever if it weren't for the fact that her father was a U.S. senator and one of the Senate majority leaders for a long period of time. And like, his influence built her, and she's continuing to try and build her influence and her social profile off his the back. Backbone of his career, in in order to do that, she has to promote and defend it, and that's despicable and disgusting to me. Like she even took a picture yeah. with his with his tombstone. She took a picture yeah, posing saw that. behind his tombstone with a copy of her book "Bad Republican" by Megan McCain propped up against the tombstone. Fuck her. She deserves any ridicule she gets. Yeah,
0: exactly. Which I I thought that was just so eye opening. The people who came out against it. I was like really like you're you're going to be a a state defender now like get the fuck out of here what are you doing oh don't don't talk to me about fucking decorum like these are some of the worst people imaginable and guess what if a bomb dropped on your house they wouldn't give two shits they would sleep soundly.
1: And beyond that, like, Megan McCain hasn't even lied about what she thinks about you and me and people like us. Like, on The yeah. View, she has openly advocated for sending people who think the wrong way to prison, for sending people who supported Donald Trump to Guantanamo Bay, for sending people who tried to stand up and make themselves heard on January 6th. Because, let's face it, it was a riot. And as we learned during Black Lives yep. Matter, riots are just the language of the unheard, to quote the great Dr. Reverend King. But... <laughs> Those people just wanted their voices heard. They wanted the government to be accountable to them. And, like, it, it wasn't a coup. It was a riot. It was riots aren't good. People got hurt. Yeah. People died. We can recognize the bad there, but we don't need to call it what it wasn't. She wanted them locked up in Guantanamo Bay as prisoners of war. No. Like, that.
0: Yeah.
1: Somebody who advocates those views in a public forum does not deserve your respect. She may not be a politician, she may not be able to cast a vote, but she's certainly in a position of public influence, as you said, on the view to millions of wine moms across the country. The soccer mom demographic is the demographic that really turns politics in this country. Because oh, those yeah. are the women who don't speak up, but they definitely cast a vote.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the, the dangerous white stay-at-home moms.
1: <laughs> They're horrible. How do we get them to come over to liberty? Me and Spike Cohen tried to figure it out. We couldn't. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's got to benefit them some way, you know? Yeah. Benefit their kids. And I don't mean it does, but you got to try and convince them of that.
1: No, that's the homeschooling push. A lot, a lot of the homeschooling push, I think one of the greatest unsung benefits of COVID-19, the pandemic and everything that people kind of gloss over was the fact that millions of people were forced to become homeschoolers overnight by the government. And then when it was time for the government to say, "Okay, we'll take your kids back," a lot of them said, "Nah, we're good." Like, yeah. public public school enrollment dropped in New Hampshire for the first time in history, like, by such a major degree. Like, there was a significant percentage of students who never re-enrolled in public school.
0: <laughs> Spike
1: said white women must be weaponized. <laughs> and Todd Loftus said they must be stopped. So we got to come somewhere in the middle and meet them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Are we repealing the 19th Amendment, or are we handing out machine guns to white women?
0: <laughs> I I don't know. My my wife said something super base to me the other day. She was she was telling me she's like, you know, if I could give up my voting power, and that would mean that you would have more voting power, I would do it in a heartbeat. And I was like, what the? F- where did that <laughs> come from? It, it blew my mind.
1: Well, we talked about it was like, hilarious. The repeal of the 19th joke that gets everyone's panties in a twist too. Um, it it, it blew my mind. The 19th Amendment absolutely needs to be repealed because the 19th Amendment isn't necessary anyways. Like the 19th Amendment doesn't actually do anything with a modern understanding of the law and the Constitution. Like, You actually look at voting rights in this country, like Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution, the the Elections Clause that gives people the right to vote, it, it leaves that up to the states and it does not say who has voting rights whatsoever like yeah. but if you if you get rid of the 15th i think it was or and the 19th amendment i forget which one gave everyone over the age of 18 the vote, right to vote and black people the right to vote but like the reality is like with the 13th and 14th amendment applied as understood and the, using the 9th amendment to incorporate through the states like w- getting rid of the 19th amendment doesn't mean women can't vote it just means you're going to have to make one hell of a legal case at your state supreme court of why they can't and yeah. it'll never pass muster it'll never fly like we don't need the 19th amendment like yeah to accomplish what the 19th amendment does like it, it would never fly today yeah yeah e-
0: exactly it's it's more legislation that's just bogging yeah. down the system than you, anything. you
1: forget like in p- people women in jersey could vote forever like th- every state was a little bit different but like culturally like the women on the South were largely illiterate, didn't involve themselves. They were homemakers and childvers. They didn't, the, the culture didn't encourage women to educate themselves enough to care or be involved in politics. Uh, the culture at the time didn't encourage your average farm worker to care or get involved in politics. This, uh, their rules were that only landowners could vote if you own land. Um, and if you're a woman that owned land, you could vote. If you were a man that owned land, you could vote. But if you didn't own land, you couldn't vote. Like, and those rules worked for that culture at that time. Uh, but I don't think the 19th Amendment was necessary. The 19th Amendment might have been necessary at the time it was passed because you were seeing a radical change in culture where women all of a sudden wanted the right to vote. Um, but I think repealing it today wouldn't all of a sudden mean women don't have the right to vote.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, like like you said, you would have to go to your 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 state judiciary branch and be able to make the case that they shouldn't and i yeah. don't know out of any of the 50 states that would agree to something like
1: that right and then you're going to have weird state constitutional provisions and like state laws and like the voting is still largely left up to the states how it happens when it happens who is and is not eligible like conditions and terms um there's a actually funny graphic that goes around uh I think it was the ACLU or some Dem- rights and democracy pack or one of the like super progressive packs ranked all fifty states in DC in or in order from hardest to vote to easiest to vote, and it's like these states are the hardest to vote in, like with identity requirements, a, a verification, validation, residency, blah, blah 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 blah. And it's like New Hampshire is the hardest state in the country to vote in. And then I started noticing, oh, then Florida, then oh, Texas. Um, oh, I did some courtly- I pulled up the Cato and the F- Freedom in the 50 States Index. And if you invert the list, it matches almost identically Cato's Freedom in the 50 States Index. So the freest states are the ones where it's the hardest to vote in, where the least free states are the ones where it's the easiest to vote in.
0: You know, I'm not necessarily opposed to less people voting. Um, it- well, democracy I mean,
1: is a shit system. Like, let's just honestly and call it, it what is. it is. Like, people give Hoppe a bad rap saying he's a monarchist, but, like, you, you can say what you want about monarchy, but, like, the freest government in the world right now is an absolute monarchy in Liechtenstein. Yeah. Like, you rely on a benevolent leader, sure, but in democracy, you're relying on people... T- defeating their own nature in corruption, which is like seeps through the system. At least in a monarchy, there's ways to deal with a non-benevolent leader. Like you have Prince, Han, uh, Prince Hans Adam II in Liechtenstein, who's a benevolent leader, who quotes Rothbard and Ron Paul as two of his biggest influences. And he's the, he's the absolute monarch of this small European banking country. And, uh, but like what happens if his son turns into a petty tyrant and he takes over? Yeah what's the solution there they like that's a really good question and uh he actually wrote a book called the state uh the state in the third millennium uh all about anarchy and libertarianism and like he has he said he's tried to abolish the monarchy himself and uh, those people wouldn't have it he had a referendum to abolish the monarchy and the people were like nah you stay right where you are you're doing a good job <laughs> so um like there's a case to be made about like the benevolent dictatorship and the absolute monarchy like as being a better system than mob rule and democracy because like i have a friend who joked the most perfect system of government would be uh, an absolute dictatorship with a healthy dose of assassinations so as long as the next <laughs> dictator is always afraid of pissing off the people yeah like they keep the best interest of people and the people in mind um, but the reality is like, winston churchill actually said democracy is the best worst system of government except for all the rest and i think it is a matter of scale It's a matter of the size of the community you're governing and the size of the state you're trying to manage and rule. Because I think the most perfect form of government that has ever existed is actually authoritarian communism. It just doesn't scale. It works perfectly fine at the most natural level where, where it does exist and form naturally. Authoritarian communism is the governing structure of almost every family unit in the world. Yep. Yeah, like you have a head of household who sets the rules, but they provide for a hundred people. They might do chores around the house and work, but they don't bring income. They don't support It's from each according to their ability to each according to their needs with a tyrannical ruler who sets the ground rules. That's authoritarian communism, and it works perfectly in households across America, across the world. The problem is once you scale that up beyond like seven people, then the shit goes wrong real fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like, So it just doesn't scale up. Whereas democracy, no matter what size of the scale it is, any democracy with dissent. Now, like if you ever get consensus, 100% consensus with something, go ahead, do it. Democracy is beautiful when everyone's on the same page. And that's the purpose of debate is to win people over to your side and convince them of your way. That would go. But if if you force three measures with dissent, then you're an inherently tyrannical system because it's a majority or a plurality in a lot of cases in most democracies around the world. So uh, a minority of people forcing their views on others and using violence to do so by using the state. Yeah. So, like, I am an anti-democratist. I don't think we should just repeal the 19th Amendment and the 15th Amendment and portions of the 14th Amendment, but we should also repeal the Voting Rights uh, Clause and the Constitution altogether. We should get rid of democracy. Um, now, I'm not going to tell you what to replace it with because who the hell knows? But maybe a different system in every government every state and how they work because we're heading for a collapse anyways. We're 246 years into the average 250 lifespan of an empire.
0: Yeah. So Well, you know, there there is an argument to say that we've we've got a little bit more time only because we haven't
1: always been an empire. We've always been an empire. Always. You know, on what argument at what point in history has the United States not been an empire?
0: I guess that's a, that, that's a rather decent point, but
1: <laughs> from the never... moment, yeah, from the moment the Treaty of Paris was signed, giving the United States extended territories beyond just the colonies that fought the Revolutionary War, giving them further territories and Britain was ready to acquiesce according to all letters and journals between British diplomats of the time, England was ready con- to concede all of Canada. They were re- re- willing and ready to write off North America just to end that war. Uh, The United States kept pushing westward manifest destiny from sea to shining sea quickly became the mantra of the United States leading to the annexation of spain leading to the louisiana purchase under jefferson the third president was an expansionist president leading to the monroe doctrine under the second president to declare that no all of the western hemisphere was our imperial jurisdiction european empires had no say here and we would go to war to stop a european empire from exerting influence in the western hemisphere and we did with the spanish-american war and we took colonies from uh, Spain. We took Puerto Rico. We took the Philippines. We started our overseas colonies. Abraham Lincoln, people talk about him as a great president. He was a founder of the um, what am I calling The American Colonization Society which was a private group not even a government group, it was an NGO one of the earliest NGOs ever formed that fundraised private equity to purchase land in Africa to form the country of Liberia a US colony in Africa Now, and then the racist piece of shit that Abraham Lincoln actually was, he then <laughs> used his family fortune and a bunch of private equity funds to purchase a bunch of slaves, not because he wanted to free them, but because he was such a racist asshole. His letters say that he didn't believe black people were equal enough to share north america with the whites and he started shipping yeah. them back to africa where they didn't speak the language didn't understand the culture and just dropping them in the middle of liberia like yeah colonialism as it's, america stopped being a colonial empire maybe sometime after world war ii but it's still an empire to this day it's just no longer colonialism it's puppeteering like into the like that's a fair at, point. Look at the country since World War II, the United States has toppled their governments and installed uh and, and facilitated coups to install puppet regimes. You have Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Panama, Venezuela, Bolivia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, all of the Yugoslav republics and uh the Balkans, Ukraine <laughs> in two thousand ten. Um, like utilizing NATO as an enforcement agent, the United States is still a colonial empire the same it was from the day the Treaty of paris was signed
0: yeah that that's a fair argument yeah i'm i mean it's not my argument that it hasn't always been an empire but i
1: have heard that
0: before but that that is one hell of an argument to say no fuck you
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So two two hundred and forty six years as a sovereign nation, and the United States has been in, has had troops engaged in combat and expansionist, protectionist, or imperialistic wars for two hundred and twenty five of them. So
0: the, there there's a lot of work you've been doing recently mm-hmm. about
1: like selling liberty.
0: Absolutely. Where, <laughs> what what, <laughs> what what do we do moving forward from here?
1: So I, I think libertarians, it, it, we have a, a, a as an atheist, I don't want to say a come to Jesus moment, but like maybe a like come to Ron Paul moment. Like, let's have a firm <laughs> grip on reality and realize the state of things of where we are. Um, four years ago, I wrote a book. I published a book called Selling Liberty: Communicating Freedom in an Unfree World. Um, I've revised it, updated it, and republished a second edition recently. But like, it, it's more of a Introduction to sales techniques and communication strategies for the autist, so to speak, the libertarian (laughs) activist of how you can use basic communication techniques that are taught to salespeople that I teach to entry level salespeople that I've hired and trained just to like push them in the right direction of like having a better conversation, like 10 keys to just having a better conversation, getting more out of it, listening more than you talk and like asking the right questions, probing to find the need beneath the need, like very key things that can turn any like quick hey how you doing into an intimate conversation where you can actually get to know somebody and how you can translate these skills to communicating a political idea to somebody who doesn't like you or doesn't like your ideas and like having a discussion as opposed to a debate because I don't think we'll ever win with debate because we're not changing anyone's minds with logic because it, if it if it would have worked, it would have worked in 1988 when Ron Paul ran, and it didn't, and it hasn't worked since. We're 50 years into failure. We are 50 years into abject failure with the like libertarian movement stalling. um We're actually down from 2020 to 2022. There's 100,000 less registered libertarian voters in this country than there was two years ago, and that's still it's down from 600,000 to 500,000. So it's not looking good for the growth of the libertarian movement nationally. So maybe we just need to stop trying to win people over. We need to stop running down the middle and focus on like identifying who our actual base is. Like you can estimate 3 to 5% of people are libertarian or hold libertarian ideals because it's not a political philosophy. And I want people to yeah. stop thinking about libertarianism as a political philosophy. It's not. It's a lifestyle choice. Then it's not really <laughs> even a choice. Like yeah. Yeah. like Elizabeth Duffy had a hilarious Twitter uh TikTok a couple weeks ago she's great if no if you guys don't follow her on social media the the Elizabeth Duffy on TikTok she makes libertarian content and she's hilarious um but she's like when they ask why are you like this and she's like why am i like this like, and it goes on about how, she, like, no friends, no social life. All she does is argue with people. She's like, if I could be any other way, I would be. I didn't choose this. Nobody would choose this. It's right. Nobody chooses to be a libertarian. It's yeah. a system of ethical, moral, and, like, it's a value system that guides how you live your life and your politics are just informed by the culture of your lifestyle choice. So we are different maybe three to five percent oh that's an optimistic number maybe three to five percent of people would share these values and ethics and these lifestyle choices that we make as libertarians and that would reflect the three to five percent in elections that we get but how do we get that three to five percent like active doing shit like yeah working to advance liberty in a lifetime beyond just once every two years going to check a box at a ballot box like it's not by campaigning to the middle and alienating the people who already agree with us because they're the ones we need doing the work because they're the ones who aren't going to compromise. They're the ones who want to abolish public schools instead of just shifting where the tax money goes to a private school. They're the ones who want to like, not just like legalize tax and regulate marijuana, but they want to end the regulatory system that's perpetuated the drug war and lock millions of people in cages. Like, like the tried and true, like principled, lifestyle libertarians that's who i want active that's who i want awake that's who i want populating a movement dave smith spike cohen justin amash they all themselves are fantastic motivated principled libertarians who are losing sight of the bigger picture here in my opinion because they're trying to win people over to liberty and instead of encouraging those who already believe in liberty to rise up and fight for it because you remember the american revolution as all historians say was only fought by three percent of americans and that wasn't three percent of americans on one side that was three percent on both sides total so less than three percent of americans decided to stand for something, took up arms and changed the world. 3% of Americans who identify with libertarianism, if they can be motivated to do something and to demand an actual change, that is a vocal minority that cannot be ignored. And that's where you can accomplish change. And stuff like the Free State Project, consolidating those active, hyper-aware, hyper-motivated people into one spot where they can amplify their own effectiveness. That's how you see it done because we'll never be a majority in Texas. We'll never be a majority in California. We'll never even be a plurality in New York or Massachusetts. But in New Hampshire, we can build a consensus because we can build a culture of libertarianism, not just a, a fighting to win elections every two years against pe- people who hate us.
0: Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Um, I, I've definitely kind of changed my messaging um especially running for office it's been and interesting you have
1: to. and here's the and, thing you have to if you're running yeah. for office you have to cater to voters Not and voters aren't libertarians let's face it and so yeah. here's what you're a doing a vast is, majority <laughs> like here's the question have you changed have you tempered any of your messaging Running for office have you gone hey we want to tax regulate and like legalize marijuana as opposed to we want to like marijuana is no different than tomato you grow as much as you want smoke as much as you want. I don't give two shits. Like if that wasn't, if marijuana was an issue in your jurisdiction, which of those paths do you take as a candidate?
0: I mean, it's, it's an issue here only because it's still only medically regulated. Um,
1: shit situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I mean, we, we have uh state ran liquor stores here and uh you know, so, our state parties always on the <laughs> a, abolish the uh, state monopoly on liquor. Um,
1: is it actually a monopoly? So I've had this, I've had this conversation. We have state run liquor stores here in New Hampshire too, but they're not a monopoly, not a monopoly by force. They're just a monopoly by fact. Uh, there is one private liquor store in the state of New Hampshire, I think uh, that operates and it, it, there's nothing prohibiting someone from starting a, a private liquor store, except that they can't compete with the state price wise.
0: Um, so you actually cannot create a okay. liquor store. Uh, there is one store that is grandfathered in. Um, however, it still answers completely to the state. Okay.
1: So. Well, listen, it's not necessarily the worst thing if they're actually competing in the market on borders, like here. Yeah. Like I, I, I found myself almost justifying the state liquor store in New Hampshire sometimes. Like the more I dig into it, I'm like, this actually really works because the state liquor stores in New Hampshire have so much lower prices. Uh, Than yeah. the competitors, and they still run and work a profit. They still make a profit with the state liquor, oh state yeah, New Hampshire, um, by undercutting Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine uh, retailers. And people travel over the border to purchase their liquor all in droves. And I'm I'm not talking like go up and buy a six pack. They come up with U Hauls and fill them, and then go yeah. back to Massachusetts. <laughs> and that's revenue coming from out of state to take advantage of our low prices and state monopoly. And all of that money goes to funding state programs here in New Hampshire, and it helps us keep our lowest overall tax burden because we just take the money from out-of-staters.
0: Yeah, well, it actually works pretty much the same here in Utah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. So I've worked for the state liquor store. I've worked for uh, uh, beer distribution companies, and it's not the worst system out there. I wish there was a little bit more of a free market within it. Um, However, you know, convenience stores can still sell regular beer. Uh, They can't sell wine, which is kind of annoying, but I'm not much of a wine drinker. so
1: We have beer and wine are fine anywhere. Like gas stations and supermarkets both sell beer and wine in New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, we, we don't here.
1: So. Yeah, well, I mean, you're the Mormon paradise, so. Yeah, exactly. Be lucky they're allowed to sell Coca-Cola.
0: <laughs> no, that's who owns Coca-Cola is the LDS church. You know, got to gotta make all that tax money from those sinners, you know, yeah. all that no. sin tax.
1: But I actually, I, I hugely advocate for government providing services beyond just government services for profit and revenue at this point. And I started to think about a lot with the controversy we had here in New Hampshire about a ski resort that's government owned. And like, you know what? Like, I looked into it. There was a point in history. The ski resort was non-profitable. They were, like, bankrupting and costing the state money. And so there's been a big controversy about auditing them selling it off and privatizing it. But there was a point in the past where they were, like, an incredibly profitable ski resort. And a lot of the county's funding for, like, the nursing home and the jail came from the ski resort every year. Like, if the government was funding itself through market competition and competing in the market and providing a, a service people valued enough to pay for it, that's not taxation. That is a voluntary exchange and interaction. Yeah. And as long as if the state liquor stores are operating in a non-monopolist manner, they're just operating in the market. And then it's not really taxation. It's just undercutting yeah. the market and taking advantage of people's want to do something stupid. I don't drink. I I despise i think alcohol is the worst drug out there um but it should be perfectly fucking legal if you want to do it yourself and but like if the state wants to operate in that sector and that's how they fund themselves i'm all for it
0: yeah yeah no i'm that's actually been my messaging for school choice i don't i don't care if the the state has you know schools i i don't want to see that because it's like indoctrination camps however just open up the free market let the market and the
1: people and the money decide. Sure. So here's the problem. And here's the big problem you end up having. Schools are largely funded on a more local level, not at the state level. Yeah. It's kind of universal across the state, where schools are funded by your direct property taxes. A big portion of your property taxes or your mill go directly to your local or your county schools for redistribution. If you pull your kids out of public school and put them in private school or homeschool them or put them in a charter school, anything that you're paying for for a private, better more competitive education you're still paying for that public school that that is a monopoly by force and that is one of the problems with public schools is it's coercively using your money to indoctrinate children and that's the problem And that's why the libertarian answer in my opinion is abolish the public schools let the market replace them don't let the market compete with them let the market fill the gap because what exists is tyrannical and arvin Vora. Actually, made the great case for this to maybe come around on it because I I used to be of the let's reform. We need charter schools. We need more private schools. Voucher programs. Let's expand school choice. We'll 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 compete with the public schools and drive them out of the market. And then Arvin Vohs like every progressional step towards reform you make, it makes it harder to undo the whole thing.
0: Interesting.
1: So because now you like because every step towards reform you make, you ingrain that bureaucracy deeper into the system. Yeah. Like, we're creating vouchers. Great. Now you have a voucher bureaucracy. We're creating charter schools. Now you have a charter school administration and regulation arm. Like, you're growing the bureaucracy with all this choice to the point where now we want to abolish public schools. No. Yeah. So now, it's, now you created a monster that's too big to do it with.
0: Yeah. And it's already big enough.
1: Right. And so the problem I circle back to when it comes to selling liberty and deciding who you're trying to wake up and bring up is – If you're running for office, you have to pick one of those two lanes. you pick the principled lane? No, abolish it all, burn it to the ground, and let the free market and free people rebuild the way they see fit? Or do you pick the lane of let's reform, make this workable, lower some costs, reduce some corruption and overhead, and we'll make a better system? Because voters want the second one. Libertarians want the first one. So you have to decide, are you campaigning to libertarians or are you campaigning to the middle? moderate average voters who might be swung to vote for a third-party candidate. And if you're if you're campaigning to the middle, by all means, do that. It might get you elected. But you've alienated all the libertarians, which means now when it comes time to, I need you guys to stand up, help come testify. There's a protest. They're deploying troops. We need to protest. They're like, oh, why? You didn't help us. And when you ask yeah, the people in the point. middle, when you ask the people in the middle, they're like, why? We support that. Yeah. So, like, you've alienated the base that you need to accomplish change that matters. And not saying if you do get elected, you can't just say, ha you elected me on reform. i burn it to the fucking ground. You're not getting reelected if you do that. Uh, <laughs> as simple yeah. as it is, you're not seeing that to fulfillment if you didn't get elected with that mandate. And that that's kind of something we've seen here in New Hampshire is the state reps who all tried to abolish that ski resort, they did not win their primaries. The, the, every single one of them was lost out. However, all the state reps who have campaigned adamantly, I'm a libertarian, screw you. I'm um, I'm um, all for expanding school choice vouchers blah blah blah. They all got reelected and landslides. The people who were on, honest about what they were doing with their communities got reelected in landslides. The people who took a more radical approach in office and weren't really upfront about it ended up losing. Um yeah. it, that's how we get radicalism in office, but more importantly, what you're doing when you're campaigning is working within or without the Overton window, and I think libertarians need to do a lot more reading on what the Overton window is. A lot of people, a lot of libertarians, really suck at this. But the Overton window was actually created by libertarians. Like you hear people talk about it all the time in all sorts of politics, marketing, media. Everyone talks about the Overton window, shifting public perception, and public narrative. But it was actually a product of libertarian activists and political scientists who came up with the Overton window in the '90s. Um, and it, it charts things on from the extremes to the moderate, to the other extreme. Mm -hmm. And what is permissible to campaign on is based on what's popular and what's popular is in the box, the window, the Overton window. And that might be from reasonable policy, reasonable on either end. And then you have unreasonable extreme, a radical extreme on going towards the edge. If you are taking, if you are an extreme or radical person, like you believe the extreme and radical, your policies are not going to pass. You're not going to get support for them because most people are in the window of reasonable to reasonable. However, if you move yourself towards reasonable in order to get elected, the Overton window has successfully convinced you to change your principles and become unprincipled to seek election and popularity by saying, okay, I'm just going to do what's popular instead of what you believe is right.
0: I'm going to give them what they want.
1: Right. Whereas if you stand up and say, no, we're abolishing the public schools, and this is why. You're necessarily, if you're loud enough and you're avid enough with it, you're forcing the people in that window to pay attention to you. And they might slowly start creeping towards your side. And now all of a sudden you're not extreme, you're just radical. And next year, you might no longer be radical. You might be reasonable. Yeah. And next, all of a sudden, you're decriminalizing marijuana with the same regulations as homegrown tomatoes. Yeah. Interesting you know. So I, there's a great example of this is um, Carla Howell. Uh, weirdly <laughs> enough, she's one of the most pragmatic people in the Libertarian Party. She was Joe Jorgensen's um, media director and comms director yeah. for the Jorgensen campaign. So take that with you. But she, she ran for governor in Massachusetts way back in the day. And our partner, Michael Cloud, ran for Senate in the same year. It was a four-way race for governor. There was a five-way five-way race for governor. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green, and the United Independence Party in Massachusetts all had candidates up for governor. And uh, Carla Howell ran on a single-issue platform of abolishing the income tax. That's fucking extreme. This is Massachusetts we're talking about. The Democratic People's Republic of tax And she ran on a single-issue platform of abolishing the income tax. And people called her crazy. She's nuts. We can't abolish the income tax. How will we pay for state services? i uh, like, this is a welfare state. How are we going to pay for shit if we abolish the income tax? It won't make any sense. It's not doable. And she just hammered it for two years as her campaign, we're abolishing the income tax, we're abolishing the income tax, we're abolishing the income tax. And then they started a statewide petition initiative and referendum to get a constitutional amendment in Massachusetts to abolish the income tax and ran that alongside her campaign. They got the 100,000 signatures, got it on the ballot. People were going to be able to vote on abolishing the income tax. She got in the uh, gubernatorial debates Every question they asked her, Miss Howell, how will you fix the failing education system in New Bedford? Well, by abolishing the income tax. We can blah blah blah. How will you fix crime in Worcester? Well, by abolishing the income tax. Blah blah blah. How do you fix pollution on <laughs> the Charles River? By abolishing the income tax. Every answer she gave in a televised debate was abolishing the income tax. She got like 19 percent or something crazy in that wow. election. Wow. Right. Beyond her getting like 19%, the ballot initiative to abolish the income tax in Massachusetts got 49.9%. It failed by less than 1,000 votes. That is incredible. She almost moved one of the most left-leaning states in the country into being a constitutional tax haven just by being yeah. extreme for two years. Yeah.
0: that That's incredible. That's that's one hell of a story. So why, why don't more people in the party follow this through your experience with everyone that you talk to
1: because they have political experts people who know better telling them not to people who come from other parties with experience people who come from political ish backgrounds sales politics, law, leadership positions who tell them the way to win and get elected is by catering to the middle. Because let's be honest, if you're running as a Republican or a Democrat, and the majority of states in this country, the plurality of voters are unidentified, unenrolled, independent voters in the middle. Utah is different. That's not the case in Utah. You need to cater to Republicans if you want to win in Utah. That's it. Nobody else. New Hampshire, 42% of New Hampshire voters are unenrolled, 30% are Republican, 28% are Democrat. I can run as a Republican all I want, but if I don't cater to the middle, Democrat wins because they will cater to the middle. And that's the swing vote. And you can see this in New Hampshire where we elect a Democratic senator by a landslide and a Republican governor by a landslide in the same election every two years. The middle matters. The middle is what swings elections. And people in the Libertarian Party have become too focused on winning elections that they stop caring about winning policy because that is where we win is like personally i don't care if i win it or lose an election if i can shift the needle towards freedom in a positive direction that's a win for me if if by losing an election if by running to the extreme And being as radical as possible in my campaign, I can pull just enough votes that I split the difference and the Republican that wins gets really scared I'm going to cost them the election next time. They come to me and offer concessions like, okay, we'll submit some bills for you. I won. Yeah, I moved the needle. And, I, and I've done that here in New Hampshire. I had a bill to abolish Obamacare at the state level and to just, boom, wipe out all the Obamacare regulations. I wrote it. I drafted it. Um, a, a Republican who beco- I've become really good friends with who had run for state rep approached me and said, like, I see you're a health insurance expert. You talked about that a lot in the campaign about like abolishing all this blah, 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 blah. Um, maybe we can work together on a bill I can submit. I'm like, hell yeah. I went and testified and we fought it. It didn't pass but it almost passed it got it, it got it only failed in committee by like two votes so like wow it, it's moving that needle on stuff like that um we have a libertarian here in zephan wood zephan diehard super radical libertarian he moved from california a couple of years ago he reviews and writes reviews on every single bill That gets submitted in New Hampshire. We have like 1,200 bills a year. He reads every single one of them and writes a review on whether it's libertarian, whether it's anti-liberty, pro-liberty, why it's pro-liberty, why it's anti-liberty, if there was an amendment that could be added to change its uh, disposition, how to approach it. And then this organization called the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance takes the reviews of Zephyr and a few other people uh, that do all the review work and they compile it into a list. And every day at the State House of Representatives, whatever bills are being voted on, on that day, they hand out a sheet with the bill numbers, explanation, and the voting recommendation. And there are about 40 to 50 state reps who just vote whatever that sheet tells them to. So Zephyr, a diehard libertarian who's as radical as they come, has more influence on legislation not running for office than the nick sarwarks who run and lose because they were too cared about winning over the middle
0: nice name drop <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's my next door neighbor so
0: ah interesting
1: yeah not a run- no no friendly neighborhood barbecues <laughs>
0: yeah i can only
1: imagine yeah but i can like, only imagine these are the things that libertarians need to be doing i think and it's unfortunate because like We are not a successful political party because we live in a winner-take-all plurality system. It will inevitably and eventually always devolve to a two-party system. And the two parties are going to get stronger and stronger unless one of them collapses and breaks up overnight. And unless the one that does is the Republican Party, because there's a solid like 10-15% of the Republican Party that's close enough to us that we're where they're going to land. Um... It, it, unless the Republican Party just dissolves overnight, there's no chance of the Libertarian Party succeeding at the federal or statewide level in the next fifty years, just as there hasn't been in the last fifty years. Um, however, if you want to affect local culture, local politics, and move things in a positive direction, be loud, be extreme, make them notice you, and make them pay mind to what you're saying. We had a, a, another good example. There is nothing reasonable about secession it is one of the most extreme <laughs> positions you can take yeah okay now we might think it's logically reasonable but in overton window scale it's one of the most extreme possible positions you can take lewis marinelli in california uh well in russia i don't know he lives in i don't know where he lives now great guy not a libertarian whatsoever me and him disagree vehemently on how government should work we just agree that local government's better uh, he started yes california the secession movement cal exit and it started with like i guess like five people like we're gonna get california to secede getting ballot initiatives on the ballot in california is super easy and so like we're gonna just put it on the ballot to secede from the union and they just campaigned loud enough for long enough that there's a national divorce movement happening now. It's not just Cal exit. It's Texas. It's New Hampshire exit. It's Alaska independence. It's Hawaii restoration. There are now independence movements across the country in almost every state clamoring for a national divorce and breaking up the union. And a lot of it's to do with because like one dude campaigned long enough and hard enough and loud enough that he started to win people over to the idea one by one. Not by campaigning to the middle, but by staying as extreme as he possibly could with it, voting for secession, to the point where this year in New Hampshire, we had a constitutional amendment filed, heard. It received a House vote. It received public testimony. Over 100 people showed up to testify in favor of secession before the new hampshire state house of representatives it received almost an hour of debate on the house floor wow. and such contentious debate house representatives members were accusing each other of treason versus accusing <laughs> each other of being statist bootlickers like there was a house representative wow like the the words is theft get yelled on the house floor by state reps in new hampshire like We've had that much of an impact on these niche issues that we're moving the needle of liberty to the point where they're being discussed in a reasonable manner. Even though they're extreme ideas, they're being given the light of day of reasonable policy proposals. And that's how we win, by moving the Overton window more towards the extreme limits of freedom, as opposed to moving our policy pitches more towards the middle of compliance and like compromise to appease people so with
0: that what what are some of the policies that we really should be focusing on because i know it, it's kind of all over the place with every push, state
1: push marijuana to be regulated like a tomato i tell them, there's there's a big controversy i might have i might have stirred the pot on this i was going for a little bit of shock value with it but the libertarian party in missouri not taking an opinion on a ballot initiative to legalize marijuana Like that's ending the drug war is in our platform. It's, it's one of the few things that we all agree on. Like it's one of the few things there is no disagreement among libertarians on is ending the drug war. You take a stance on that ballot initiative. I don't care. Like you're the libertarian party and ending the drug war is your defined prerogative. You take a stance on that ballot initiative. Now, Does your stance have to be in support of the ballot initiative? No, because it turns out it's a pretty shitty ballot initiative. Like, it is hyper-regulated, hyper-taxed. It would lead to one of the least free systems and actually create a new enforcement arm. So, no. So, put out a press release, write your article, start a campaign against it, saying this is worse (laughs) than criminalization. Like, explain to people how it is bad, how it is worse. Like, be the extreme one there, because that's an extreme position for a libertarian to take. And right now, they need to get other libertarians on their side because of how things have been framed and how they've handled it. Um, Here in New Hampshire, we still don't have legal cannabis. We're the freest state in the country. We do not have legal cannabis. But we have decrim, and we have unenforced decrim. So there is zero risk to possessing, using, or transporting marijuana for personal use under substantial amounts, like four ounces, And it's some absurd amount you can have without getting in trouble. So there's de facto legalization so whenever the house of representatives proposes a bill to legalize tax and regulate it dies because republicans will amend the bill because weird enough we've moved the overton window on the drug war so far in new hampshire that ending the drug war and legalizing cannabis is a republican issue in new hampshire and the democrats oppose it interesting Um, whereas every other state's the opposite that the Republicans will amend that bill so it's no taxes, no licenses, no regulations, no retail monopolies, no tax stamps, no funding. One, a couple of years ago, there was a marijuana bill that changed the classification of cannabis to be the very same as a homegrown tomato. And a state representative spoke on the House floor and talked about it is not the province of man to regulate what God plants in the earth. A plant is a plant is a plant, whether you eat it, you smoke it, or you bury it. The province of regulating what grows in this green earth belongs only to God, and this legislature has no right to tax what comes from the soil, be it a tomato or cannabis.
0: Yeah. That bill failed
1: because the Democrats didn't like the idea of not having taxes and regulations. But in the meantime, we (laughs) still have one of the freest decrim environments in the country. So it's like we didn't lose freedom by not passing it, but we took a stance against them taking freedom away. And we have liberty-leaning legislators who are not willing to compromise. They are not willing to pass a bill that is a net negative for freedom compared to what we have just to say it's legalized. They're not willing to wait until they get a perfect bill because we have a situation where they can because they've been radical and extreme enough to push it in that direction. Uh, New Hampshire became the first state in the country this past summer to nullify federal gun laws. Like, we passed a law that prohibits the state and any state agent or state money from being used to enforce any federal gun law.
0: That's so, incredible.
1: Right? Like, no other... Texas can't do that. Texas can't pull it off. But New Hampshire Hampshire's like, nah, the feds can get fucked. Because yeah. <laughs> we push those things. And I think that is a perfect example of it like it doesn't have to be guns but pick an issue pick a lane and advocate for nullification because that's one of the strongest things the state has a power to do is to nullify federal overreach so libertarians need to pick that lane you be extreme you move the overton window and you start a campaign to nullify something i don't give a shit what it is if lindsey graham gets his abortion ban plas- passed nullify the abortion ban in your state go ahead But, like, start dismantling federal power bit by bit by being extreme. You don't have to get elected to do it. You don't have to be a legislature. You don't have to be winning elections to do it. You just need to be winning the real culture war. And it's not the one that happens on Twitter. It's the one that happens every day in your community.
0: Interesting. Great advice, by the way, which is a perfect segue into something I wanted to ask you about. (laughs) Sure about think. libertarians <laughs> there's there's this idea that just because on on a uh on a principled level something should be legal that all of a sudden you have to also support it which drives me nuts
1: sure um because here's a perfect example of this and where i stand on it Um, I believe the only monopoly that should exist, the only monopoly that should exist anywhere is a parent's monopoly on the indoctrination and education of their child. A parent has the final say in how their children are educated and what they're exposed to. I personally think drag shows and the sexualization of LGBT pride, and I say this as a member of the LGBT community, has gone so far that it's lost the cake and it's disgusting. It's despicable, and it's immoral. If I had children, I would not bring them anywhere near a pride parade, a drag show, a bar, drag queen story hour, any of that. However, to pass a law that says somebody else can't bring their children to the same experience is just a soft form of right-wing tyranny. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect example of that. I despise. What they are like, what a lot of libertarians are advocating for, and using state force and state violence to fight a culture war against their ideological opponents. And you saw this back with COVID, and here's the difference between New Hampshire and Florida, and it's one of the most important differences. New Hampshire and Florida had two wildly different approaches to how to deal with government overreach in the and uh, the lockdowns. Florida. The governor became a tyrant. The governor said, I am ending the lockdowns. Fuck you. And the governor said, any business that requires a mask gets fined. Any business that requires a vaccine gets fined. We'll shut down your business if you comply with the federal government. And libertarians cheered like, he's a hero. He's protecting <laughs> rights. Governor DeSantis is awesome. Yeah, DeSantis 2024. Meanwhile, in New Hampshire... Libertarians in the legislature said, we're going to pass bills to rescind the governor's emergency power. Uh, To put limits on lockdowns, to uh, make it much more difficult to declare a state of emergency, uh, to create medical privacy so that the government can never require a vaccine, to um, create, uh, to make the vaccine registries opt out so your information, opt in so your information is not automatically shared with the federal government, even if you do get the vaccine, and to protect your medical sovereignty and privacy. Like New Hampshire's libertarians in the state legislature dismantled the possibility of a future lockdown crisis and they did so it took longer the lockdowns didn't end as quickly as they did in florida but they will never happen again whereas if ron DeSantis runs for president and a democrat wins in florida they'll happen next year yeah
0: you know what's what's interesting about that so the the subject that brought this up to me was a a post i had made on instagram surprisingly and it got a couple of people pretty hot which I thought was a weird hill to die on. But it was a, a, a screenshot from pink news, which is just <laughs> garbage. And it, it was something to do with, uh, uh, same sex siblings having an incest relationship. And it's like, why can't they do that? And I, I, I don't care really. I don't want to law against it, but I was shaming the incest thing. I was like, that's disgusting. You should be ashamed. I don't want you arrested, but I'm going to judge you for it. And somebody jumped down my throat about it. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to fold on that. It's disgusting.
1: The the insisting is mind blowing to me. And it really fucking confuses me with the disgustingness of it. Um, because it's not, it's weird. It's weird that it needed a law to be illegal in the first place (laughs) instead of just being culturally (laughs) frowned upon. Um, But it's like you can also tell like where society is with it and where culture like the new york post ran an article about is it time to re re legalize incest like should incest actually be illegal like shit like that because like if the purpose of incest was birth defects but now we have modern medical technology that can detect prevent them and birth control maybe incest doesn't need to be legal. i'm like who the fuck are these rich people that are really (laughs) really trying to get incest made legal it's (laughs) fucking weird and it scares me Especially because yeah. they're trying so hard to normalize incest that if you go to Pornhub or any porn website, mm-hmm. the first hundred results just on the auto feed are incest. Like, it's fucking disgusting, people. Like, they're like, I don't know if that's the algorithm or if that's what people are actually looking for. I might be the odd one out here who doesn't fucking think that's fucking fun to look at. Or fucking, <laughs> like, even if it's not real, you know they're yeah. actors, but they're labeling it. as like, well, now that's in my fucking head. No. No, but, like, they got rich people lobbying newspapers to write articles in their editorials about why we need to legalize incest. That's fucking, there's something going on, people. Like, no. Yeah, Um, and it,
0: it was so weird when, like, I get it, okay, on a principle level. Yeah, you're right. I don't want somebody arrested. I don't want the state knocking on somebody's door for sleeping with their cousin but I'm not going to turn around and pretend like this is okay and support it just because I don't want you arrested for it. And that was the whole disconnect, which was insane to me, which I think kind of goes back to the trans issue where it's like, I don't have to support something to not want you arrested.
1: Yeah. It's God. I almost feel like you don't have a soundboard with like sweet home for Al- sweet home, Alabama, cute. Like <laughs> Well, no, it's I... weird like i i've even like i like tiktok tiktok's a fun app like um nobody should be on tiktok it's a horrible app don't listen to me yeah um, like it's brainwashing <laughs> but like it's one great way to kill three hours of your fucking day and not get it back but like i was scrolling today on my lunch break at work and like, all of a sudden it popped up and there's just two kids dancing next to each other and like the subtitle read our parents got divorced we're no longer step-siblings I'm Like what the fuck and like this is just being pushed out and forced i'm like why is this being pushed out and forced and then all of a sudden it just cut to like an old fat dude sitting there like really creeped out and it just started like sweet home alabama <laughs> like, all right he gets it like somebody's on my level here like this isn't what should be forced to people like yeah. there's nothing normal about this uh, but like maybe they're just getting ready to add that letter to the pride flag i don't know because it's gotten so fucking out of hand where gender politics and identity politics is taking over what is and is not the culture war nowadays that you can't like mm, I, I don't i want to offend people i just don't know like i don't know how to do so in a manner that captures all of them <laughs> <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah god, yeah dave, dave chappelle might have had it the best with his skit about the alphabet people like oh them.
0: god yes
1: like the l's just beat the l's the b's and the g's they're fucking great people even they fucking hate the t's yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. be honest
0: yeah oh, it's it's just weird to me because like i said if if you're not in full support then you'd like with the with the trans people you like if you don't support them then you deny their existence and want them to die And it's like whoa
1: yeah, no. no I just don't want to pay for you to cut off a perfectly good body part like, like <laughs> I'm sorry if I think that maybe you should wait until you've matured enough to make that fucking decision we don't let kids join the military until they're 17 because like you can't make that decision to put your life at risk and fundamentally change yourself in that way we don't let kids smoke until they're 21 or drink until they're 21 because your prefrontal cortex hasn't developed to the point where you can make rational decisions um and you can't even so, rent you know,
0: a car spectrum. until you're 25 in most places
1: right well, why are we letting fucking 12 year olds cut off their dicks or get double mastectomies these are irreversible medical procedures that fundamentally alter a human being's life and don't tell me that hormone therapy is fucking fun you can start it you can stop it, you can restart it no you are <laughs> fucking with the natural development of a human being yeah. let me i am not the healthiest person in the world i'm overweight i'm out of shape i have fucking bumped knee, uh spinal fusion going on i got a lot of injuries from my time in the military that still freaking keep me like not in the best shape today and like i'm probably the last person who should be talking about fucking health but dear fucking god (laughs) you four million years of evolution isn't a fucking mistake like i am sorry yeah like oh here we go i'll fucking offend them i'll offend every fucking one of them transgenderism is a mental illness body dysphoria for a long time was classified and treated as a mental illness it's not a physical illness it's a mental illness is your mind isn't happy with your body your mind doesn't like feel comfortable in your body and you know what if you're an adult and you decide you want to appease your mental illness by wearing a skirt and getting fake tits by all fucking means go ahead and do it but to like treat a mental illness with life-altering surgery for children that is child abuse and criminally negligent. And you're probably going to get demonetized. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not even
0: monetized in All the first right. place. I'll, I I just won't be able to apply for it whenever that comes. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, like
1: it, it, it angers me. And here's the thing, like, I I am willing to accept that there's probably a minority of individuals out there where like their brain chemistry and their neural structure is misapplied because there are intersex people. There are people with different chromosomal structures. It's not all XY or X X or whatever the fuck it is, I'm not a biologist, but like there is in betweens there and there is special cases there. I am willing to accept that there is a possibility of somebody born in a male presenting body that has the brain structure and chemical signatures of a female in their brain and neurochemistry. Okay, what do you do about that? Um, because if you can, like, here's the thing if that's the case, if they actually have a female brain in a male body withholding puberty blockers and not transitioning them is child abuse because you're forcing them to suffer through that issue but like i i think that is a very small minority of people and i think the agenda of the trans identitarians the fucking woke left and kind of pushing this on children and putting them in vulnerable states and identifying for them is misidentifying a large portion of the population and using culture to brainwash them into accepting this misidentity. And that is child abuse in its own right. So it's not a win-win, it's a lose-lose. You, If you do it, it could be child abuse. If you don't do it, it could be child abuse. How the fuck do you know? I don't know. Maybe we're 10 years away from MRI technology advancing to the point where you can tell that fucking difference at four years old. If it's if it's truly a medical issue, you'll be able to tell that difference. If it's not a medical issue, treat it like a mental health issue because that's what it the fuck is. And like. There is evidence of teachers pushing this on children who don't even say they identify, who don't say they're confused. There was a story from Los Angeles a few years ago about a guy who went all the way to family courts. The schools were trying to, like, forcibly take his children. They reported him to uh, their version of CPS or DCYF, and they were trying to take his kid because he wasn't willing to transition his son. Because And the only yep. evidence the school had was that during freaking, like, recess or whatever the kid drew a picture and the kid drew a picture of him and his dad and the kid was wearing a dress like your son's transgender you gotta fucking <laughs> transition him he's fucking drawing pictures of himself in a dress oh, fuck. never showed the dad the picture just inserted to the dad it was there gave it to the government the government's like there's evidence if you don't transition your son we're taking your kid goes to court father finally gets to see the picture in court he immediately sees the kid wearing a fucking purple Dress with a big yellow number on it, and he looks at the judge. He's like, "It's fucking Lakers jersey." <laughs> the kid drew himself Jesus. wearing a Lakers jersey, and the teachers tried to force him to transition.
0: Holy shit! That that is insane. And that they is brag about insane. There,
1: there's teachers who brag about this on TikTok. Like lives of TikTok didn't get controversial for no reason. All she posts on Twitter's is TikToks that she downloads and reuploads verbatim with no editing from that app, from what people are bragging about doing it. And that has been world-ending and world-altering for the conservative right, people who refuse to use that app, people who are in the middle who don't get that in their algorithm to see what the left is bragging about doing to their children in these schools and that's where it gets terrifying the fight's not crt people want to talk about crt i can give two shits i think kids should learn accurate history they should learn that the united states is a country built on racism oppression and tyranny that absolutely should be taught to children as early as they're able to understand it but the problem is the indoctrination that follows you tell kids america bad that's why you need to vote democrat vote democrat vote democrat for 18 fucking years that's what's bad. And that's why the left has had such a successful time at changing culture and implementing their side of the culture war is because they've monopolized academia and the indoctrination of children.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I heard somebody say I probably was on some other shit show, Tim Pooler or whatever, but it was uh, um, one of his guests had said they don't need your guns if they have your kids. And I was like, what are you going to Yeah, you're going
1: to shoot shoot that teacher if she's using your kid as a human shield? Yeah. What do you think we are? The Israeli military?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, demonetized for sure. That's never coming my way. (laughs) No, no (laughs) worries.
1: Listen, speaking of Israel, do you see today Israel released a statement saying they support, um, the sovereignty of Ukrainian borders and oppose any annexation of uh, sovereign territory by Russia.
0: I did not see that, or I'm all the libertarians
1: ratioing the nation of Israel's tweet with now do Palestine.
0: No, I I saw <laughs> you do that, but yeah. that that that's glorious. I didn't have a chance to dig into that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, they're fucking. No, oh yeah, we didn't even talk about current events. Jesus Christ, I'm ready for World War III?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, let's let's wrap up on that, and we'll 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 end on that one. <laughs> so, so what? Who do you think uh, hit the pipeline? Was that completely us? Does it matter? No, no, no not so really.
1: Here's the crazy thing: like, who has the incentive to hit the pipeline? Yeah, Europe does. I it. mean, us, us. Do 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 we do we have the incentive to hit the pipeline? Or what does it benefit us if it works or it doesn't?
0: Well, okay, it might not benefit us directly. It benefits uh people calling the shots at the top who might be uh linked to others.
1: <laughs> you know neither one of those pipelines, Nord Stream 1 nor Nord Stream 2, was functional.
0: Nope, had no idea.
1: Neither one of them was shipping gas to Europe. Neither one of them was in use. One of them was actually dry, emptied. The other one had overflow in it, but it wasn't using, being used to ship gas. So, so like, it doesn't. That, that actually
0: more. The that that sounds more like a propaganda event at that point.
1: The only person on Earth who I think might have an incentive is Vladimir Putin. Interesting. The now the United States has the tech- the ability, The United it's very public knowledge that the United States Navy has a special warfare unit, an elite special operators and special warfare team. That's sole specialty is underwater demolition.
0: <laughs>
1: like, yeah, like everyone watches movies with the Navy SEALs. We know they exist. We know the bud school exists. Cool. Um, However, like, look at the situation of the war and how it's actually functioning. Russia is getting its ass kicked. Ukraine is making very slow territorial gains, and, like, they're losing a lot of people. It's that Ukraine puts on a tough face, like, we're kicking their ass. Ukraine's kicking their ass, but Ukraine's paying a price to kick their ass. Like, it's not going well for either side. Like, when we get estimated casualty numbers, it's because they'll never have a fine number. Like, there's so many dead on either side of this. And you can, like, there's TikTok videos. You see bodies of, you see piles of bodies. Um, And it's not even just Ukrainians and Russians. Like, there's whole American volunteer regiments over there. Uh, there, there's Canadian regiments, there's Australians. Like, it, this is a world war, whether or not people want to acknowledge it or not. There are Americans and Canadians and Australians and Brits and French fighting on the front lines in Ukraine already, and most of them are combat vets. Some of them might be active service. It's a perfect cover for a black op or for the CIA to, to do this shit with the Ukrainian Foreign Legion. But, like, special, like American special forces veterans are on the front lines in Ukraine. This is a world war, whether or not anyone wants to admit it. And you and Russia is paying a very, very heavy price, not just manpower wise and population wise, with tens of thousands of dead. Um, The New York Times published an article yesterday where they had transcribed and put up the audio of a bunch of intercepted phone calls between Russian soldiers and their spouses, girlfriends and mothers back home because they were using Ukrainian towers. And they're talking about the mothers. There's a funeral every There's two funerals a day, every day, new bodies all over the country. Like this is one of the deadliest wars in modern since World War Two. Like it's already passed the Vietnam death toll. Uh, it, it passed rush. It passed the Soviet Union's death toll in Afghanistan for a decade in its first two weeks. Like th- this is not a good thing for the world at all, or the human population. It might be a good thing for the environment. Who knows? <laughs> but, <laughs> Bill, Bill Gates might be happy. <laughs> yeah, but like it's also having dramatic and drastic economic consequences that the whole world is going to feel as well. Um, Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. In fact, 17% of the global corn and wheat supply is exported from Ukraine. They didn't have a growing season this year. Their export season is coming up and they're not going to have anything to export. The, now, corn, you don't think of it as a big deal, but it's actually one of the biggest food products in the world as far as exports. The United States does not export corn. We're the largest grower in the world and we're a an net importer. Prices are going up soon very very dramatically because ukraine did not have a growing season they did not harvest they are not exporting they're called the breadbasket of europe they're not going to feed europe europeans are going to starve this winter they're already freezing they're going to starve now And like it how is this going to affect what's the main use of exported corn other than food fuel all gasoline in north america and europe is cut with ethanol which is a corn product gas prices like are artificially low right now because the biden administration has been depleting the strategic oil reserves that the united states holds to artificially keep down gas prices yep. they should be about five dollars a gallon right now but the uh, the strategic oil reserves are actually almost empty like they published a report a couple weeks ago they're almost empty they've depleted like eight tenths of the strategic oil reserve and they sold a third of it to china like the, so, that's like,
0: insane that's insane
1: right so like we are about to hit a gas and food crisis globally that is going to really fuck with people um because of that corn shortage and corn supply but ukraine and russia is the world's leading exporter of natural gas like and the Nord Stream one and two pipelines were empty and shut down because europe had been embargoing russia and refusing to buy their natural gas that's why those pipelines were empty because Russia had no no, one, no buyers on the other side. But that's also why Germans are freezing to death in their luxury homes. That's also why people in France are like buying space heaters off the shelves for hundreds of dollars over market so they can use nuclear powered electric heat instead of gas heat. Because France hasn't shut down their nukes because they're not fucking idiots like Germany is. But Germans <laughs> are freezing to death. And now they're going to starve to death on top of it because of this war. And at the same time, Russia's economy is largely driven by those oil and those natural gas exports. They have no buyers. They're not bringing in any money and they're spending everything they have on weapons. They're purchasing weapons now from North Korea because that's the only place they can get them. But they they so who is who has the incentive to end this war and reopen the pipelines? It's the it's the barons, it's the oligarchs, it's the rich in Russia who are desperate to see the economy attempt to recover because they need their workers back from the war they need their product being sold they need money to start moving because economies rely on movement and they need those pipelines open or russians are going to starve to death this winter they won't freeze to death they've got an unlimited supply of natural gas they don't care they got cheap heat russians but they're going to starve to death this winter if they don't have money and so russian oligarchs are probably pressuring vladimir putin like listen end this fucking war it's it's not going the way you thought it would you said it'd be over by june we're still fucking here people are dying left and right we need these pipelines open yesterday or our people will starve and those are the people who actually hold power in ukraine in in, uh, russia is the oligarchs and the business entities like when the soviet union fell it didn't become a democratic federation it became an oligarchical state like the the mob runs russia um and they do so with pen and paper instead of guns because they own everything. And there's some things that are federated and nationalized, but the the oligarchs and the wealthy run that country. Putin does not need to appease his Senate. He needs to appease his businessmen because they're the yep. ones who can make or break him. So they're trying to lobby Putin to reopen those pipelines. What does Putin do? Blow up the fucking pipeline there. Your leverage is off the table.
0: Yeah interesting so so do you think that he like if if he ended the war how is that going to look for him though or does it matter he
1: can't he can't he he turns 70 next month um there's reports that he has um michael j fox disease parkinson's um (laughs) that was offensive as fuck too (laughs) (laughs) signature looks like a scatter plot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and ink blot, a rocks sh- a, a rorschach test there's, there's reports that vladimir putin is not in the best of health he's feeling healthy. he's been in power since fucking nikita gorbachev or like he, he yeah
0: it's like 22 years
1: yeah he is old um and he was a combat veteran he he was a broken soldier like he was a spy like he was not a politician he is held power like it's a stressful position for anyone to be in in leadership alone never mind maintaining it by machiavellian means and dictatorial governance like it takes a toll on your health and he's already in like it by all reports failing health there were reports of him having a parkinson's diagnosis a few years ago there were reports of him trying to pick and groom a successor a few years ago um but he's also like a very proud person like you look at his interactions with other people like historically like when he met bob Kraft when the patriots went to visit russia and like he was very proud he was unwilling to accept this like there was a mix-up and a confusion and a mistake and he was unwilling to accept that he made a mistake and almost caused an international incident over stealing a super bowl ring from the patriots (laughs) like like he's like no i did not make a mistake no i did not make a mistake like he he's a very proud person he made a fucking mistake here a tactical blunder and it's costing Hundreds of it's gonna in the end, it's gonna cost hundreds of thousands of lives for his mistake. And my best guess is that he can't live with that, he so he needs to keep fighting until the day he dies. And he needed to do something to quell the dissent in his own ranks because the oligarchs wanted their money. The only way they're gonna get their money is if Nord Stream 1 and 2 start flowing again. So he sends a sub to go blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2, and then all of a sudden. You have no leverage, and we're fighting my war. And I think it's a matter of pride for him. That's it.
0: Interesting. I mean, he does seem like quite the prideful person.
1: Yeah. So, and I don't think he cares about legacy. I think at this point, he knows the war is lost because he, he's smart. He's not an idiot. He knows the war is lost and it can't be won. He knows the moment he dies, they're going to retreat and sue for peace like let's be honest that's what's gonna happen his successor will sue for peace and say vlad did it our bad fuck him fuck that guy he knows he has no legacy like he knows his international legacy is tarnished forever but he doesn't want to see that yeah like he doesn't want to be there to see his legacy tarnished like if it happens after he dies it's after he dies it's a very Russian mentality, like Stalin. Historically, like if you <laughs> yeah. read like Stalin's biographies, like he was very much the same way. Like th- there's reports of Stalin knowing that, like acknowledging that, yeah, I'm a tyrant, I'm a dictator. This wasn't how I planned it, but like you know what? However, they remember, they remember me. I won't be there to remember me. Yeah,
0: just um, let the whole thing burn down. But just I don't want to
1: see it. Right.
0: Yeah, that's that's wild. I I can't even imagine. I mean, so
1: do you... Meanwhile, the United States Senate is about to vote on sending troops. So,
0: yeah, nobody wants to talk about that.
1: But Ukraine applied for fucking uh, NATO membership today. And if if the United States Senate votes by a two-thirds majority to accept Ukraine as a NATO member, Article 5 will be invoked and the U.S. will be obligated by treaty for mutual defense to send troops to defend Ukraine. Uh,
0: (laughs) Man, abolish NATO.
1: Abolish NATO. like, And here's the thing. Finland and Sweden just joined NATO last week. And that was like a three-month application process, blah, blah, blah. Um, One U.S. senator. The vote was 95 to 1. One U.S. senator voted against allowing Finland and Sweden to join NATO and voted to not expand NATO and escalate tensions. Because, by the way, Russia said, Vladimir Putin said, if Finland and uh, Sweden join NATO, he will declare war on them. And there was only one U.S. senator who voted to, like, yeah, we're not going to raise these tensions. And that was Josh Hawley of Missouri.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Wow.
1: I know. You Missouri, want to talk about you all places. Needle. You want to talk about Bush and the needle? When Josh Hawley first ran for uh, U.S. Senate, he, like, ran as just, like, a statist establishment Republican. Uh, but his primary opponent was Austin Peterson. Mm. Uh, fairly i won't say very but fairly principled libertarian and austin peterson ran a fairly principled libertarian campaign in that primary um and since getting elected josh Hawley has been one of the one of the more libertarian members of the u.s senate
0: interesting yeah that's wow one one senator
1: one senator and it wasn't rand paul yeah (laughs) or thomas (laughs) massey well thomas massey's not in the senate oh that's right I won't ding Thomas Massey was posting some stuff today about how maybe Ukraine should be let to join NATO, but it's not a vote. He was just posting some vague shit on Twitter. I won't hold that against him until we see an actual vote on the matter because Thomas Massey is one of the most principled voting records in the U.S. Congress. So he said basically that even if Ukraine joins NATO, uh, Congress still has to authorize sending troops, and so I think it's a it's a it's a layup and a and a prayer that won't sink because Thomas Massey knows, just like everyone else, that if they invoke Article 5, there is no way in hell the United States Congress does not vote to send troops to that war. And Thomas Massey may be in the, like, 10 or 12 people to vote no, and he can say, see, I told you we'd vote no. Like, no, you, we all knew you'd vote no. It's not about <laughs> you. It's about giving your colleagues the opportunity, and that's where yeah. we needed to stop. So, but, So we'll see and i i have faith thomas massey would not vote to send troops to ukraine but that doesn't mean congress won't
0: yeah just like uh to uh remind everyone to uh go visit defend the guard uh, what, what is it defend the guard.us
1: defend the guard.us and bring our troops home so uh, fantastic! If you haven't checked out the video that um, LPNH members put together with Dan Smotz, uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic, uh, narrative by Scott Horton, featuring Dave Smith, Michael Mallison, and some others. As um, much the personal piece. it's it's an incredibly important issue. I spoke at a rally uh, a few weeks on 9/11, uh, and we had an anti-war, defend the guard rally in Concord, New Hampshire, at the State House, and I spoke there. Uh, there's a video up on a... Freakin' on youtube and odyssey <laughs> uh from ian freeman at liberty liberty radio network he recorded the whole thing some great talks from some uh combat vets and national guard vets here in new hampshire about the importance of it but uh the video is great go share it advocate for it call your senators call your congressmen the elections in a few weeks yep. like tell them this issue matters to you because we're about to see world war three world war is already started we just haven't acknowledged it yet it's about hot yeah. though um you 18... need to end this
0: before nukes drop
1: right and uh, and the one of the best things you can do you might not change their minds but make your voices heard they need to know that people don't support it and people don't i think largely people do not Uh, i I think it is a it is a largely acknowledged feeling in the united states we're tired of war (laughs) like
0: yeah we've been at war my entire life
1: yeah like i'm 33 and uh, I, I joked for a while that Donald Trump was the best president of my lifetime because he's the only president in my lifetime that didn't start a new war. Yeah. And then Joe Biden quickly became the best president in my lifetime because he was the only president in my lifetime to end a war. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa, I didn't think that bar could get lower. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> That's like, insane.
1: Yeah. Like, Trump made a low bar, and Biden's like, oh, I can fall over that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> crash my bike over that right but Biden's, you know now
1: starting world war three so we'll see he's about to slip down under the rankings so
0: yeah well cool honestly i think we'll we'll wrap it up here honestly this was this was great man thank you so much do you want to shout anything out
1: uh, you guys can check him out let you follow me on twitter at O'Donnell4NHS, uh, right there in my name on the StreamYard thing. Um, but uh, I'm also uh, about to start filming a documentary. I just finished writing a new book. It's called Live Free and Thrive. Uh, 101 Reasons Liberty, Why Liberty Lives in New Hampshire, and so should you. Uh, yes, it's marketing and promotion. <laughs> uh, we are from one of the Free State Project, but it's a nice little short book. It's quick, easy read. Um, going through editing, proofing right now, getting a forward written. It's going to be published probably mid-November. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, but we're also going to film a documentary, a one-hour feature- film documentary about what makes new hampshire the freest state and the homeland and mecca for libertarianism and what we've done in the past 20 years with the free state project and the new hampshire liberty alliance and the liberty movement here in new hampshire to move up from number 15 to number one in those rankings with cato so like it's i'm looking forward to it we have a GoFundMe up uh it's in a pinned link on my twitter gofundme.com slash 101 reasons 101 reasons and you can check out the description of what we're going to film what we're going to produce if you want to help chip in it's going to be a super fun project i'm excited for it we got some professional editors some professional cinematographers uh it's going to be professional production and we're running on a low budget so but we need people to help with that budget so head on over to the gofundme pitch in chip in uh we got some producer slots available if you want to pitch in big uh you can get an executive producer credit for five thousand dollars uh or uh if you want to donate cryptocurrency or offline just reach out to me my dms are always open
0: hell yeah and i'm i'm honestly excited for- for uh the documentary looks great
1: i am too i've written a bunch of books before i've never made a movie so this one i'm excited for and i've brought in people who have made movies professionals to help me do it so I'm not not running at this as a director like i've got a vision it's gonna suck i've got people <laughs> there to tell me no that sucks do it this way instead i'm like sweet that's what i paid you for <laughs> yeah exactly
0: <laughs> well cool thanks again for coming on jess and we'll we'll get no you problem. on again this was uh, always always the most based episodes I have. you got to get read on if you want to base. Yeah, <laughs> and I know. I need to get him back on. We, we already talked about it, so we'll be getting him on soon, I'm sure. So. Well, thank you for me. Anytime. Right on, man. And thank you for everyone else who's made it to this point. Make sure to go to risetoliberty.com slash links. That's where you can find everywhere we are. Do not lose touch with us. We're already being soft censored across every platform. So they can't screw all of the platforms over. <laughs> so until next time, stay free, my friends.